The sting of death, this very title of the series comes from Corinthians where it's talking about Christ who has raised from the dead, who is living after death. And because of that, we have hope that all of our loss, small or large, life-changing or temporary, everything we've lost will one day be restored. And in that verse in Corinthians, it says, now we can say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Our hope is not that our grief today disappears, that we can look to the God who knows our grief, to the hope that is everlasting. And as we grieve, we can pour it all out before him. Hi, this is Chris from The Point a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. It is good to be here with you on this cold day. I am so ready for spring and was not ready for some snow this morning. I was really bummed when I saw it, but thankfully it's Knoxville. We could possibly get a foot of snow and tomorrow would be gone and the city had shut down for a week just in case more came. So we'll be okay. We are in this series called The Sting of Death. This comes from a verse in Corinthians that talks about how death has a sting and that sting hurts. And as we're leading up to Easter, as we're preparing for Christ's death and His resurrection. We're reflecting on this sting of death. Death hurts. And not just death eventually someday later, but grief and loss and the sting of death which is sin hurts us and causes all kinds of pain within us. And so how do we as Christians grieve with hope? How do we grieve differently than all the rest of the world and experience the sting of death in a way that finds all of our center in Christ? As we go through this together, last week we talked about the reality of death that is long awaited. Part of this sinful, broken world is we have the pain of watching people we love slowly die. We have the pain of watching terminal illness take over and all kinds of chronic pain and sickness linger we have the pain of long-awaited suffering where no matter how hard we pray and how hard we seek it seems to persist but sometimes there's a pain that happens that's very sudden and abrupt in a moment that should be joyful in a moment that should be a time of celebration instead we're filled with all kinds of sorrow How do you and I as Christians grieve when our joy turns to mourning as opposed to the other way around? What does that look like? Today we're going to continue in Genesis with the story of Rachel and Jacob. Jacob, if you're familiar, is the grandson of Abraham. 
The one we looked at last week, whom God had promised his descendants would be more numerous than the stars, and Jacob is his grandson. Jacob is a little bit of a cheat and a liar. In fact, his name literally means cheater. So for all of you Jacobs out there, I'm sorry. It's not an attack. But Jacob cheats his brother out of his inheritance and runs away. He steals it from him, and all the promises of God and all the blessings of God he steals for himself, and then he runs away to his uncle to hide. And also, while he's there, he runs away to find a wife. Don't ask too many questions about him finding a wife with his uncle. Things get weird uh, in the Old Testament for sure. But we're going to begin our story in Genesis chapter 29. In Genesis chapter 29, Jacob is there with his uncle hiding out from his brother. And Jacob is there to find a wife. This is what happens beginning in verse 18. He finds this woman. He thinks she's absolutely spectacular. It says this in verse, chapter 29, verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, specifically to Laban, his uncle, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So this is how it works. Jacob or uh, yeah, Jacob goes to Laban and he sees this beautiful woman, absolutely stunning. He's wildly in love. And he says, I want to marry your daughter. What do I need to do to marry her? And Laban says, for seven years, serve me. Work as my servant. Take care of my, my flocks. Work for me for free for seven years and then you can marry my daughter. Anybody have a father-in-law who asked that of you? Would you have still married her or would you have moved on? I don't, I don't know. I don't think my father-in-law would have wanted me working with him for seven years first. That's a different story. So Jacob gladly, out of his love for Rachel, serves for seven years. And if you're not familiar with the story, what happens next is Jacob the cheater gets cheated. So Laban, on Jacob's wedding night, in the dark with a veil over his daughter's face, switches the bride's. And Jacob accidentally marries what would have been his sister-in-law, Rachel's older sister. Now, we live in a culture where divorce is much more prevalent uh, than I think it should be, and even that perhaps it could be. And we live in a culture where you can leave a marriage just as quickly as you enter it if you so desire. It just costs a couple hundred dollars and a good lawyer, and you're good to go someplace else. But not so back then. See, marriage was viewed as a covenant, an agreement, until death do us part. So short of killing Leah, he's now stuck married to a woman he didn't want to be married to. And Jacob is devastated. Laban, you scoundrel, you tricked me. And Laban says, I've got a deal for you. Work for another seven years, and then I'll give you the wife you really wanted. So not only does his father-in-law make him work for seven years, then he cheats him and steals and makes him do it again and gets 14 years of free labor out of Jacob just so that Jacob can marry Rachel. Now you might have a question in mind. Wait, does that mean he married both sisters? Yes, it does. Anybody in here married two sisters? 
Don't recommend it. Certainly not at the same time. Because what happens is a whole lot of jealousy and envy and a whole lot of division. Now, sometimes people say, how come God allowed multiple marriages in the Old Testament and not in the New? Well, I'll just briefly say to that, every time they get married to more than one person, problems arise. I promise you, you will not successfully be married to more than one person and avoid problems because there will be enough problems being married to one. I guarantee it. Jacob gladly marries both Rachel and Leah after he'd been cheated. But in envy, this is what happens. As the story goes on, God actually closes Rachel's womb. It says that God sees that Jacob hates Rachel, or hates Leah, and because Jacob hates his first wife out of his love for his second wife, God begins to give children to Leah and not to Rachel. One, two, three, four. Rachel keeps waiting to have kids and it's not happening. So she's barren and can't have children. I, I don't know if you've ever struggled with infertility, but that pain of longing for something that should be joyful and it seems to never happen, that hurts and it hurts a lot. Rachel, she gets so desperate, so longing to have children. This is what she says in chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Like just picture the weight of where she's at in that emotion. My sister has four kids and I can't have any Please give me children, or the weight of this pain will kill me. It would be better to be dead in her eyes than to continue with the pain of loss, of barrenness. And Jacob replies in both a true but also kind of callous way. He says, am I in the place of God? Like, I can't control that. It's not my fault you don't have kids. And so Rachel decides, because she can't have kids to offer up her servant to Jacob. Now, gentlemen, let me just warn you. If your wife ever offers for you to go and sleep with another woman, it's never going to work out well. I promise, don't take her up on it. He does, though. And now this servant has two children. And now Jacob has six sons, but none with the wife whom he loved. And Leah, during that time, had stopped having children. And so she then says, well, since I'm no longer having more kids, perhaps my servant should have more kids for you. And so then Jacob has two children with her servant. Do you see the web that's being tangled here? It's pretty messy because so far Rachel has been longing to have children with the husband whom she loves. And so far he has eight sons with three other women. What a mess. And nothing for Rachel. And then we get to this. Beginning in... Oh, beginning in verse 22. Chapter 30, verse 22. After eight children with three women, and all the pain of barrenness, and all the sorrow and grief of not having children, then it says this, Then God remembered Rachel... 
And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Finally, after all of these years and all of this waiting, Jacob has a son with the wife whom he dearly loves, named Joseph. A little footnote that I saw in my Bible I found interesting. Joseph means he adds to. But then it also sounds like the word for he's taken away from. So here, Rachel, she says, look, God's taken away my reproach. I was ashamed. I was feeling guilty. I thought something was wrong with me. And finally, God has given to me this answer who adds to my life. Joseph, the 11th youngest son in the family. Anybody come from a family with lots of kids? Nobody? All right. A couple of you? Anybody have like great-grandparents or grandparents who have like 15 siblings and you can't keep track of all of them and who's who and all that? Joseph is the 11th son, not to mention all the daughters that are also there, but the first with the one whom Jacob truly loved. The story continues, and unfortunately, well, in the middle, there's some good and then there's some bad. We're going to flip to chapter 35. And you'll see here in a moment how all of this comes to our grief when joy becomes mourning. So in chapter 35, just a few pages later, in the Blue Bibles, chapter 35 is on what page? Page 37. So if you're following along, or if you'd like to start following along, page 37, and the Bible's in front of you or along the sides. Here we go. In chapter 35, beginning in verse 9. Jacob and... Rachel and all of his family are now traveling back from Laban. They have left uh, her father. They've left his cheating uncle. They actually cheated him in the process of leaving because, you know, it's just a big web of sinners. That's the way the Bible works. And then he's afraid as he's going back to meet his brother for the first time in over 30 years. After having cheated his brother, he's returning and he's afraid. And in that, he meets with God and he wrestles with God. And God blesses him. And then comes this in chapter 35, verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. For Israel means he who wrestles with God. God comes and changes His name. And any time God shows up to change somebody's name in Scripture, it's because God is preparing to promise them something or do something in them far greater than what they previously had expected or encountered. God says His name shall be Israel. And He says, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Now with eleven sons, having been reconciled to his brother, having wrestled with God, having left his cheating uncle, now with that life behind him, God meets Jacob with a promise. 
Be fruitful and multiply. I will give to you a great nation and a company of nations will come from you. Echoing the promise given to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Echoing the promise given to Abraham that he shall be the father of a great nation. God echoes these promises now to Jacob and says, this will be for you all that I have said and all that I've done. But the story does not stop there. In fact, it continues. Beginning in verse 16. After this great blessing from God, after all of His promises, this moment that should have been such a wonderful place. In fact, they named the place Bethel, which means house of God. They named the place after meeting with God and said, this is where we know God is. And then after that comes this. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor. And she had hard labor. Some people are blessed with childbirth and they make it look very easy and wonderful. And other people are blessed with childbirth and it's incredibly slow and painful. And some are really quick and painful. There's a whole host of things that happen in childbirth. I, I will spare you the details, but it describes that she has hard Labor, which should be a blessing of a child, very quickly becomes a great source of pain. See, this is what happens next. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name, his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died. She was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. After all of these years of waiting, after meeting God in this place where he had promised to meet after hearing these words of God saying, I will multiply you and I will make you a great nation, then the one he loves so dearly in a moment of great joy, childbirth, giving birth to his second son with her, his next child with her, in this moment that should be all kinds of exciting, she dies. Jacob is left with the pain of the wife whom he loved being no longer with him. Jacob is left with the pain of burying the wife whom he loved someplace other than where the rest of his family was buried. She names her son Ben-Onai, which means either son of my sorrow or son of my strength. It can mean both. And I love that double meaning there. As Rachel is dying, she says, look, all of my strength is being poured out so that this child can live. But also, this is the son of my sorrow. All of my hurt, all of my pain, here and now. Jacob watches as his wife dies. And he renames the child, not Ben-Onai, but Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. 
And we'll talk here in a moment about why I think that's so significant. But you may or may never in your life experience the pain of losing someone in childbirth or losing a child that you were so excited to have. My wife and I have experienced two miscarriages. And let me tell you, it, it hurts. I don't know the pain of infertility, but I know the pain of loss in that moment. But even if you've never had that pain, you are likely at some point, if not already, to experience great loss that should have been great joy. Longing to be married, and yet it never seems to happen. Longing for children, and God never seems to give them to you. Having everything that should be good start crum- come crumbling down around you. Relationships falling apart out of nowhere for no reason, and you have no idea what you could have done to salvage them, and the answer is probably nothing. But the weight of that moment and the sorrow and the guilt sometimes can be crushing. I remember after our first miscarriage, all the questions that came up. Was it our fault? Could we have fixed this? Could we have done something different? I remember all the begging and the pleading, God, what caused this? There was never an answer given. I remember when we got pregnant again with Eden. The fear... What if this moment of joy again becomes great sorrow? What if this good time begins to become great pain? See, after a time of grief and loss, while we continue to grieve going forward, it can change how we see the blessings in the future. And what should be joyful is actually sorrowful because we're filled with fear and anxiety and worry and stress and all kinds of what-ifs that are often unanswered. Jacob's wife, whom he loves, dies while giving birth to his youngest child. As the story unfolds, what we see is his favorite children are these two given to him out of all 12 that he has by this woman who dies. He carries with him for the rest of his life the pain of losing her. There's some things he does here that I think are helpful for us when we grieve great loss. When something joyful becomes sorrowful, what do we do? It says this, So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. When it comes to grieving sudden loss and loss that we cannot make sense of, I want to encourage you to begin grieving by remembering that loss. Our world wants to move on and act like that loss is insignificant and say things that are platitudes that don't offer comfort. Our world wants to say, don't worry, move forward, God is good, and and wants to just act like that thing, that pain isn't there. Remember your loss. Your loss is worth remembering. 
Because it's in remembering the loss that we can praise God, not for the loss, but for His strength that He gives us through it. For His promise that all of our grief will one day be made no more. And all of our mourning will one day be turned to joy, even if right now our joy has become mourning. Remember that loss. Second, when you are grieving a sudden loss, whatever that loss be, something that should be good but is now bad, I encourage you when possible to name that loss. To place specifically what is it you are grieving. In the very first moment, the grief is so overwhelming, you may have no idea. You're grieving a whole host of things, a little bit of everything. It just seems like the whole world is against you and you don't know what to do. But as you sit in that grief, as you remember that loss, as you feel that sorrow, allow yourself to press in. Say, what hurts the most here? See, part of our grieving this child we never got to meet included grieving the things that could have been that never were. Like the first steps we never got to watch. Like the first words we never got to hear. The things that were lost in the future because of that loss then. What is it you need to grieve as you have lost something? As you go through the grieving process, that may change. Jacob names his son, not son of my sorrow, but Benjamin, son of my right hand. A position of honor, a position of authority, a position often reserved for the firstborn, but instead Jacob gives that title to the lastborn, the youngest and the least of these. You shall be near and dear to me and held in great esteem. If you've ever lost a child, consider naming that child anyway. My wife and I struggled to name our kids. In fact, it took us two days after Elijah was born to come up with a name for him. So they kept coming into the hospital like, what, what's the name of your child? I'm like, baby boy for now, we'll find out. Thankfully, before we left the hospital, we had a name so they didn't have to write that on the birth certificate. That would have been embarrassing. But naming has a way of creating Something that is real and that is permanent. Jacob, he names his son, not son of sorrow, but son of my right hand. This is who I will lean on and I will love and I will find my strength in. When you can name your loss, be it a child or be it something else you've lost, when you can name that, you can speak in your pain and in your sorrow the truth over and against the emotions you're feeling. The truth was in our loss, we did not cause it. It was not our fault. The truth was we could not control it. Didn't make the hurt any less. Remember your hurt when possible. Give a name to your loss. This next one is as much for those of us who are loving somebody who's grieving as it is for those who are grieving. Don't be afraid to talk about your loss. See, oftentimes when somebody has lost a loved one, we can get really uncomfortable and awkward around them. Like we forget to tell stories of that person because we're like, oh, I don't want to cross that line and, and trigger their pain. And so we kind of work around the situation without being honest and just facing it straight on. 
But if you're with somebody who's lost a loved one or lost something that should have been held precious and it suddenly became pain and not joy, it's okay to talk about that loss. For example, when you are anticipating celebrating an anniversary and then death comes suddenly and you don't get to, share stories of the one who has died. Because I promise you, the person who lost that person, the one you're speaking with and saying, hey, this moment reminds me of that funny time here or that silly thing there, or that reminds me of how they would often say this or do that. I promise the person who is grieving is thinking about the one they've lost, even if you're not talking about them. And so by talking about the loss, you invite people to grieve together. You don't need to be alone in your loss. Now, when we are the ones grieving ourselves, when it is our loss, it can be very difficult to be the one to initiate the conversation because the loss feels so overwhelming. We don't even have words for where to start. So you and I as Christians, as brothers, as sisters, as those who love one another and bear each other's burdens, we can initiate the conversation with no expectations of their response by simply asking or saying something. Hey, I remember your husband today. I was thinking about them. How are you doing? Hey, remember that time when she did this and it made us all laugh and we spilled milk out our nose? That was a good time. We can initiate the conversation. And sometimes when we step into that place of loss with somebody else, they may not want to go much further. And we can be really comfortable just being with them through it all. So if we share a story of a loved one who's gone or of a pain that we're feeling, and then we sit and they have no words to respond, that's okay. Finally, what can we do with our grief when our joy turns to mourning? Cry out to God. And I know this sounds cliche and cheesy, but I promise you, he's big enough to handle all of your pain, all of the fears and all of the hurts and all of the anxieties. I promise you, he will comfort you. That comfort will not take away the pain or the sorrow or the loss or the hurt. That comfort will give you all the strength you need today and tomorrow and each day going forward, that in your own weakness and brokenness and hurt and pain, He will be enough for you. Jacob, he mourns, he grieves, he cries out to God. He establishes a pillar where all will remember their loss. I encourage you to do the same. I'm going to end on this note. Whether your joy is temporary or permanent, whether your grief is sudden or long-awaited, in all of our pain, you and I can hope. The sting of death, this very title of the series comes from Corinthians where it's talking about Christ who has raised from the dead, who is living after death. And because of that, we have hope that all of our loss small or large, life-changing or temporary, 
everything we've lost will one day be restored. And in that verse in Corinthians, it says, now we can say, oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? Our hope is not that our grief today disappears, but that we can look to the God who knows our grief, to the hope that is everlasting. And as we grieve, we can pour it all out before Him. In Lamentations chapter 5, there's a verse we'll dive into more in a couple of weeks, but he says that all of our joy has turned to mourning, and he's describing all the pain and all the anguish and everything coming against him. And then he turns and he begins to praise God anyway. And you're crying out to God, you can praise Him. Even if right now everything in you hurts. Because no matter what you're experiencing, He will be with you always to the end of the age. He will be good and He will be faithful and He will love you and one day He will restore all things. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there are times in this world where the very thing we've longed for the most, the very joy we have hoped for, is stolen from us. Where death and sin and sorrow come in what should be a moment of celebration. May you be our strength. Teach us, Lord, to remember our loss, to name that which we're grieving, the thing we're missing and wishing we still had, or maybe had for the first time. Give us the words to talk about those whom we love and the things that we have lost. Give us the ears to listen to those who are hurting without the need to fix or solve or give answers. God, may we collectively rejoice in you that even in our pain, you are with us. That you will be enough strength for today when today is too much for us. Enough love when we are filled with hurt and anger and hatred. You will be everything we need to endure for a little while longer. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get to the questions uh, and answers, there's a couple of people I want to ask you to join me in praying for. Um, The first is Matthias. For those of you who were here last week, you heard he had a concussion a week ago. He's here today and doing better, but still keep praying for Matthias's concussion to heal fully. Um, Second, Kylie Schmid. If you don't know her, she's dealing with a lot of GI issues that uh, are struggling. Uh, Actually, there's four things I'm going to ask you to pray for. Uh, So pray for Matthias. Pray for Kylie. Uh, Pray for Katie, who's having surgery on Wednesday. We pray that it goes well and Uh, that God blesses her and her family through that process with healing. And then finally for Michael, who's uh, grieving the loss of a loved one this week. So be praying for these four, and um, then we as a family can come alongside each other in grief. And then my phone kicked uh, Tyler off. So now we'll get to the questions. Here you go. Sweet. All right. We got a handful here. Um, Is God a verb or a noun? 
if God is love, then is he, or then he is a verb. If God is the great I am, then he is a noun. Or would you ascribe to Plato's theory of the essences? That's a lot. Ooh, I don't know Plato's theory of the essences because I'm not as well-versed in Greek philosophy as I should be. Um, my eight-year-old could probably tell me that better than I know. Uh, but uh, is God a verb or a noun? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, often when we think God is love, we think of the action of love or the feeling of love. Uh, but God is bigger than both the action or the state of, of being. God, God being love is a holistic thing. And we sometimes confuse love is God, and that's not the, ch- the truth. God is love, which is not the same. Um, so to that question, I'll just say God is infinitely bigger and greater than I think our English vocabulary can sum up. So yes, he is both. Cool. All right, here, here's the next one. Was there a tribe of Joseph? As clearly the best son, why do you think Jesus didn't come from his line? What was so special about Judah? Hmm. So, uh, was there a tribe of Joseph? It's a trick question. No, there was not. Instead, he got a double portion, and two of his sons became two separate tribes. So, he functionally is uh, one-sixth of all the blessing of God's people, Uh, in some way. So why the tribe of Judah? Well, as the story unfolds, what we didn't read is the first three sons that he had with Leah really screw it up and really do some pretty wonky things, and they lose the right to be uh, the blessing, the one from whom a descendant would come who would rescue all people. And so Judah, being the fourth son, though he also is far from righteous, we see a lot of evil in him. Uh, Judah is the one who has promised that from him the descendant will come. And so it's interesting that Joseph gets the double portion and the double blessing, but it's still one of the sons of Leah who is included in the lineage of Jesus. Um, God will use all kinds of mess to bring his healing. Awesome. <laughs> and that, these are, these are uh, comments. First off, thank you, volunteer worship team. We see you, Jay, specifically Jay. Uh, yeah. Keep it up. Thank you. All the volunteers make Sunday morning great. We see you all. And then also, I, I hate to inform you of this, Adam. You made somebody cry. Well, thank you're you. welcome. Thank you for making them cry. No, it said thank you for making them cry. Hey, if it helps, you guys Sorry. forgiving me made me cry. So thank you. Uh, there's great power in loving one another and caring for each other in our grief and in our sin. So thank you for that as well. Yep. That's all of them, I think. Yep. And if making you cry messed up your makeup, Whoops. Yeah. Didn't mess up mine, so I'm fine. <laughs> so there's your phone back. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. Uh, every week you can text in questions. I'll do my best to respond. I might have to dive into Plato's essence of philosophy or essence, Plato's philosophy of essence. Yeah, I'll have to dive into whatever that was uh, and learn a little more. I'll see if I can put something together on Facebook later this week if I find anything interesting worth sharing. All right. Uh, if you have not yet signed up to join us for next Saturday's workday, uh, I would love to have you come on out and join us. We're going to be spreading some mulch. We're going to be um, pulling some weeds. We're going to be trimming some bushes. We're going to just make this whole place look really nice for the spring. Uh, if you are like, that sounds like a lot of work, let me just encourage you. We have somebody bringing a tractor so you don't have to push the mulch by hand, all right? It's going to be much better. Uh, you just have to help spread it out and pull some weeds. It's going to be great. So, 
Come on out next Saturday morning from 9 to noon or 9 to 1. I forget which we put online. It's at thepointknox.com, starting at 9 a.m., and help us with that. Uh, Between now and then, however, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.